Dennis Prager here. If you have a business or a real estate dispute, I strongly recommend that you call Barack Lurie. Barack, you successfully sued a corporation only to have the principal claim it had no assets. What did you do? Dennis, we showed after the judgment there was a pattern of the principal taking money out of the corporation for his own personal purposes. And the outcome? After examining and documenting the corporation bank statements, we showed a pattern where the principal was using the corporation as his own personal piggy bank. We were able to show that he personally had a lot of money and should be the real defendant. He thought he could get away with everything by hiding behind the skirts of the corporation, but now he's personally liable. I'll say another success. I trust Barack Lurie with my own legalities. Call him at 866-575-8111. That's 866-575-8111. Fighting for what's right, Barack Lurie at Lurie and Seltzer. 866-575-8111. And now listen to the Barack Lurie Show Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. here on AM870, The Answer. This is Barack Lurie, and this is the Barack Lurie Podcast with me, as always, my good friend and producer, Ari David. Always a pleasure. I think I've got that, uh, that down at this point. Um, so, look, we, we have such an interesting development with our president and his uh, relationship with the United Nations. As you know, the president is a big fan of the United Nations. Big fan, big fan. And that's, uh, that's important to him. And I respect that he thinks that the United Nations can actually do something. That, that is, uh, he's entitled to his opinion about that. We know, however, that the United Nations is truly good for nothing. If you think that government is bad uh, in, a, in a robust democracy like ours, and even then it's very efficient, well, just imagine when you multiply that, <laughs> you know, how many countries over, 180 countries in the world or so? And, uh, and you expect great things uh, from that. And so, it's not just one dictatorship. It's all 140 dictatorships. Oh, yeah. It's, it's all working together. All working together. So clearly that must be even more efficient, right? I mean, if, if you ever saw the movie You and Me, for example, which is really an expose about the United Nations and how little it gets done and how inefficient it is and how when you walk into the United Nations building, you constantly see empty hallways and people are not there and nothing's really happening there at all. And then, of course, when they actually do do something, it's, uh, it's ridiculously charged up um, so that they focus entirely on Israel, of course, and a, a very, uh, all this corruption that's going on and the U.N. forces that go in there and rape and maim uh, you know, people in other countries. And then, of course, when they are attacked uh, in whatever particular country they may be, find themselves in, then they run away. You get the idea. Not a, not a pristine entity. It stands for nothing, the United Nations. What, we're, you're defending the world? Is that the idea? I never understood that. And so it's, it's not hard to imagine that the United Nations would be a, really a, a worthless enterprise, worthless. And they're constantly coming up with um, different uh, standards and uh, things that contradict each other and and so, so it's, it's always going to be a worthless enterprise. There's, there, there will never be a time where the United Nations will get its act together and we'll all say, wow, wonderful. You know, it's, it's done its job in uh, showing how ineffective it is. I mean, the oil for food program is all you need to know about the United Nations to understand how corrupt it is uh, and the fact that it, it focuses its entire attention on Israel, uh, seemingly at least, and condemning Israel so many times that, you know, it's, it's just a worthless enterprise. Okay, so fine. Um, but if you want to believe that somehow the, the global governance is a good thing, I guess you're entitled to your opinion. It's, it's moronic. It, it doesn't fit with any historical perspective at all, but you're entitled to your opinion. Now, interestingly, the United Nations is getting one thing right. And that is it, is, it is understanding that the Iranians who are on the, the other side of the nuclear uh, treaty discussion are in fact cheating, uh, that they're doing all sorts of uh, things that are effectively end runs around the efforts to, to actually minimize their nuclear fission material, right? Okay. 
So the United Nations is calling out Iran on this, and they're saying, look, you really should be doing this. Why is the United Nations doing this? Because they imposed sanctions a long time ago, and, you know, it's so brazen what the Iranians are doing. <laughs> okay. But our president, one President Barack Hussein Obama, um, and don't get upset when I mention his name, Hussein. He, he calls himself Hussein. Okay, so it does, don't take anything more meaningfully than that than if I were to say, you know, George Herbert Walker Bush. Okay, so that's what I mean by that. So when Barack Hussein Obama now makes excuses for Iran, defending Iran before the United Nations. Did you hear me? Defending Iran before the United Nations. They're not so bad. Trust me, they're, they're, they're good for it. They're totally good for it. Okay. Now, this is like the guy, you know, that, that one, you know, son that you have or an uncle who is constantly getting in trouble and lying up the wazoo. And every time he does something, you, you, it, it's just embarrassing. But you, you make excuses for him. You say, you know, look, the, he, it looks like he took the money, but he didn't really mean to take the money from the business. He thought that he was owed the money. I'm sure there's a reasonable explanation for this. Okay. And then, and then he does it again the next day. This time it's more money. No, like I said, he probably has a, you know, and, and now the next time he goes on a drunken spree and he smashes everything in the, in the store. Well, I'm sure that he just, he just, you know, he's just learning how to drive. <laughs> and, you know, he just confused the reverse for the, for the drive. And, uh, and, and so that's why you know, the store got completely smushed. Okay, I, I, I hope you understand. Okay, and then, and then he sets it on fire. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I'm sure he was just trying to keep warm. It was a cold night. You he know, was just smoking a cigarette in bed. That, that's, that's it. Just happened. And, you know, that's and, so usually perfectly safe, right? And how that got all the way over from his bed to the store? Uh, well, that's that's easily explained. It's just you know the embers just kind of followed him as he went <laughs> from his bedroom <laughs> two miles away to the store. You know, and and you keep on going with these ridiculous explanations, and at some point you have to say, okay, this is absurd. Okay, you you got a you got a wicked son, as it were. Okay. Or it reminds me of these other, uh, you know, all these uh, the Saturday Night Live uh, skits, right? They all seem to have the same theme in common is that, you know, it just gets from the somewhat uh, odd to the ridiculously absurd, right? So my, one of my favorite ones, as an example for that at least, is uh, one with Terry Hatcher. I think she was the hostess on the show. And, and the, um, the, they were in an Italian restaurant. And they go in there, and the waiter says, oh, Maria, it's so good to see you. And he bends down and gives her a little peck on the cheek. And, uh, and he gives her a nice smile. And, and uh, this Maria girl, who played by Terry Hatcher, she has a boyfriend. And the boyfriend says, gosh, that, that was a little familiar, don't you think? I mean, it was a little too much kind of crossing the line. And she says, oh, Bobby, don't worry about it. You're, you're being sensitive. And he goes, okay, well, maybe whatever, you know. And, and then next thing you know, he comes over and he, and this time he like, you know, gives her a smooch right on the lips. Oh, you are so beautiful today, Bella, Bella. And uh, we love to see you. And then he goes, did, did, how could you say that that is not offensive? That's not drawing the, over, crossing the line. Oh, you're so sensitive. And this, <laughs> the next time he comes to her and he gives her a massage in the back, you know. And also kind of smooches her again. And then it gets from, you know, from bad to worse, of course, where eventually he's feeling her up. And, and the next thing is that the waiter actually literally takes her on top of the, the table. And, you know, they're, you know, uh, what's the, the grinding uh, with each other, even though they're fully clothed. And the, the husband or the boyfriend gets up and says, this is ridiculous. And she keeps on saying, honey, you're embarrassing me. <laughs> and, and at what point? Ari, what point do we say you're embarrassing us, Mr. President? And for that matter, Iran, you are a corrupt, vile nation, and you need to be completely cordoned off and isolated from all the nations. We need to strangle you. Well, according to Barack Hussein Obama, it'll be after Atlanta is in ashes. Yeah. And why Atlanta? I don't know. But 
but I'm with you. Picked a city. You picked a red city. It meant nothing. I was just <laughs> I could have said Salt Lake City or I think New Orleans. Was, I, I think that was very racist of you. I don't know why. Okay. But Hartford, Connecticut. That's racist too. <laughs> Pittsburgh. <laughs> Racist. Cleveland. Racist. Detroit. Racist. Oh, very racist. Very, very racist. St. Louis. Racist. Oh, I can't say St. Louis. Baltimore. Los Angeles. <laughs> Seattle. All racist. Okay, any one of them. <laughs> anyway, or all of them. The point is that Iran is a, uh, is a corrupt, vile enterprise that uh, does horrific things to its own citizens and, and plans to do horrific things to, to Israel and, if, and when it can to, uh, to the rest of the West. That's what, what it's going to do. And, and this president just seems to make excuses. Now, again, we have the common uh, debate, you and I, and I think it's less of a debate over time, where we wonder whether or not he's so naive that he can't see the stupidity of his ways. Kind of like the, uh, the general in the, the, the bridge over the River Kwai, where he can't even see that he's actually helping the enemy, right? So you can say that, that, that he's kind of like that general right now, right? Or the general in, or is it a general? Yeah, uh, a colonel maybe, uh, played Alec by Guinness. Alec Guinness. Yeah. yeah. Uh, whether he, you know, he can see that he's, you know, he, he, that he's actually helping the enemy. He should be seeing, but he doesn't see it. So maybe he's like that. Or alternatively, and there's only one other alternative, is that he's doing this on purpose, right? That, that, that's it. That is the entire... And, and those are the only two possible options, right? It's one of the two. Either he's a fool or he's doing this intentionally. I remember we had that argument somewhere. <laughs> you mean like every podcast? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I must say, as time goes on, it is, uh, it is more likely that the needle is tilting more in your direction than in my direction. It's it's fun, I'm finding it harder and harder to justify, kind of like you know the like the woman um, who has having to explain that that it's just uh, the, their cultural way when in fact they're just trying to have their way uh, with with her on the on the uh, on the in the on the table in the Italian restaurant. That's what I feel like. I mean, at some point I say, okay, this is absurd. This should be absurd. And I and everything that he does is constantly. Uh, an effort to uh, explain away, to be dismissive. Uh, but everything that he does is destructive. So whether that's his treatment of Israel, whether it's the way he's uh, advancing uh, an allowance toward Iran, whether he clearly has no strategy toward ISIS, when it's so easy to have one, by the way. We'll talk about that in a moment. But it's so easy. And, uh, and then domestically as well with Obamacare, uh, with all the policies that he has, every single one of them are destructive. There's, there's not a single thing that you can say that has helped the economy. But or the people, more importantly, or the people yeah. he purports to help in his straw man torching speeches. Right. So put, put aside the domestic issues for a second because, you know, one could argue, well, you know, you, because all liberals are blind in, in that department, right? And if you really feel that uh, liberal programs work, uh, then, then, then you clearly are, are just blinding yourself because all the evidence, all of it, makes clear that they just don't work. They're, at, at best, very inefficient. And more often than not, they actually hurt the very people that they're supposedly there to help. Okay. But, but internationally, there's less of an argument for Obama or for liberals, for that matter, for the far left. There's no way you can argue that anything he's done in, in the world has in any way helped any of the countries, that it's improved any of the relationships that we've had anywhere. Okay, now you're, I, I know the argument and response. The argument and response already is, well, what would you, what you have us do, Barack? You know, have America, they always go to the extreme, right? Boots to, to, on the ground? Yeah, well, no, well, not just boots on the ground, but we should have 100,000 troops in every country, right? Is that, will, will that satisfy you, Barack? And if, as if that's what we're saying, right? Uh, no. Can I really quickly answer that, though? Yes, yeah. let's say, yeah, yeah, sorry, that. Right. 100,000 troops in every country? Yeah, yeah that'd sure be great. That'd be wonderful. Yeah, have it on <laughs> Earth. I, I, it would be much better. That's true. And, and you know what? We'd start with Iran, North Korea, Cuba. Right. Yeah. Solve three problems, just Mo like that. Most countries would embrace it. 
but at least the population, the people, not, not yes. the leaders, but but the people would definitely embrace it. Things would get much better. But that's another story. The point is, it's a ridiculous straw, straw man argument to say, oh, you want to you know conquer the entire world, as if we ever said that, right? No, we're saying. Yeah, I said that. You did. <laughs> but uh, we we never said that, right? But the, the point is that our response to the real issues of the day, like ISIS, like North Korea, um, and and. Uh, like um, Iran. Iran, those are countries where we need real, strong uh, muscle, okay? One way or the other. It doesn't have to be actual boots on the ground, but at the very least, impose sanctions in a very real way. And you have to call the bluff of the bad guys. But you just got to do that. And, the, and believe it or not, I would call that the bluff of, of North Korea. They have the bomb. We know that they have the bomb. But at some point, you got to say, we're tired of paying you all this ransom money, because that's what it is. It's blackmail, extortion money, call it what you will. And at some point, you got to say, it's going to go on forever like this. And the, the, the demand amount is going to be higher and higher every time. And we're only enabling this horrific regime. And at some point, we simply got to say, tough. We're not going to pay you another dime. And you drop the button. I'm sorry, you, you, you press the button. Well, we press more than a few buttons of our own. And that's going to be it. That's just the reality. Now, I don't think North Korea would do it, but they know, they'll know better. And that's the way it was with Ronald Reagan. He, he took them all the way. That's the way it was with George W. Bush. He invaded Iraq, yep. and the next thing you know, Libya gave up its, pro, its WMD programs yep. and said, we, I surrender. That, <laughs> I want to live. That's what works. It's that simple. It, it, it is that simple. And uh, Obama, on the other hand, he knows. He knows. He should know by now. That, well, of what works, okay. And and ISIS, let's let's face it, my friends. ISIS is good for today. About thirty-five thousand men, okay. They're all monsters. Got it. That's a lot of people, but it's not the size of the army of Hitler when uh, it was at its heyday, right? No, it's not close. the size of uh, Saddam Hussein's Iraqi army either. Not, and not it's close. not trained. It's a, it's like uh, uh, rogue gang members in in L.A. South Central area. Right. It's a bunch of thugs. It should not be hard to defeat these thugs. You do what we call a perimeter offense, and you surround the, the area, and you slowly close in. That's what you do. Okay? And it, it's actually a fairly safe technique because there's really nowhere to hide at that point, and you just get the bad guys. And in addition, there are really not that many civilians to worry about. I mean, yes, they've, they've got They've already prisoners. been depopulated. They, they, yeah. They, they, they don't take hostages in the same way that uh, you know other regimes do. So... This is a, a fairly sure thing, right? And I, the best you can say is, well, Obama doesn't want to risk lives and he doesn't want American soldiers to die. But, but they're going to be dying, you know, and Americans will be dying. And for that matter, um, innocent civilians from other countries are going to be, are going to be dying. So there's only one. Uh, it's clear. He, he should know what to, what to do. And he should also know by now that an air war doesn't do anything. And yet he does that. As if somehow he can say, "Look, I'm doing something," right? I mean, it's it's like a it's like a kid when when you ask him, "Have you done your homework?" and he just pushes his pencil. You see, I I I push my pencil on the paper and I'm making lines, right? I'm I'm doing something, right? But you're not doing anything. <laughs> That's the point. I mean, I can go to, I I I can I can pretend to be um, doing the lawyer thing by picking up the phone and pressing a bunch of buttons. And say, you know, I'm trying, I'm doing it, <laughs> and I may not reach anybody, and then I, I can just talk, but but, but I'm not I'm, make, I'm not making the connection, right? <laughs> or or type, you know, typing letters on a on a computer and saying you're writing the great American novel. Yeah, yeah exactly, yeah. right. Uh, but but and that's the equivalent of what he's doing. Yeah. It's it's amazing. I mean, and the fact that people don't see this. See, I, I really am leaning toward more of your way of thinking, Ari. It's, it's, it's hard to deny because the more time, I mean, time's on your side, because the more time passes where he would have more opportunity to show that what he's doing is just, you know, that he's a bumble F, <laughs> that he's merely incompetent, or, that, or, or actually just stumble upon a good decision from time to time. He's not able to stumble on anything. No. It's, it's, it's a miracle. He bets a thousand, I mean zero, but... Right, yeah. Uh, uh, and, and the other thing that's, that it, it really shows is 
an incompetent sees his own results. And even an incompetent will conclude, if he has a good heart, oh my, I must have done the wrong thing. And I'll pull a Costanza. Costanza's an incompetent right. from Seinfeld. I'll do the opposite. Right, opposite George. Right, opposite George. Right. And, and the results are, oh, I guess I'll, I'll just do the opposite. And from right. now on, you know, so the, even the incompetent can improve. Even the loser, as Tom Petty said, can get lucky sometime. Right. The truly <laughs> evil keep going when they yeah. fail. No, it's, 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 uh, it's intentional. And what he does, uh, okay, so, so what he successfully does is he, because he thinks he does just enough to... Uh, to, to showcase that he's helping people. I, I even hear this from Israelis uh, who are otherwise conservative, um, but they say, you know, but Obama is, uh, is allowing American uh, and Israelis to do military exercises together. So that's good. Like, well, that's, so, that's such window dressing, right? I mean, you could get, I mean, he's not doing this, but Obama could, could authorize the release of $10 to the Israeli army, and he can literally say, I'm giving money to the Israeli army. And isn't that good? We're supporting the Israeli yeah. army. You know that's so funny about you saying that is when Netanyahu gave his speech before Congress, he started the speech with all this laudatory words of Obama. You know, they, the sort of the olive branch to Obama. It's yeah, it was very elegant. I come here in peace. And all the things he said were all nothing burgers. Right. All, all things were like, who wouldn't do that? Right. <laughs> you know? I know. He's just said, he's, he's once picked up the phone and said hello to me. You know, that, it, it yeah. didn't mean He anything. called his mother. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But, but the point is that you could do, you know, you do these small little steps and, and claim he does just enough to say that he's doing X. Right? Yeah. Just like the, the, the kind of when we were joking before that I'm, I'm saying, well, look, I'm, I'm, type, I'm typing words on a page. I see. I'm I'm st- I'm trying to do the great American novel. Look at me. I'm I'm pressing buttons on the telephone. I'm trying to call the opposing counsel and to reason with him, to argue with him. You see, uh, Barack is doing something. I'm going to talk about Barack Lurie here, not Barack Hussein Obama. But but you would never say that that's an acceptable that, that I'm actually doing something. But he's doing just that, right? When, when it comes to Syria, right? And when it comes to the Arab Spring. Libya, Libya, the Muslim Brotherhood, <laughs> you, uh, you know Iraq, of course, Iran, uh, and ISIS. Everything he's touched, uh, he's done just lip service. That's oh, it. and China and all those uh, expansionist streams of China and the South China Sea threatening oh, yeah. the neighbors. Exact same pattern. Hong Kong, yeah, it, the Iranian velvet. Uh, what was it was it called the velvet or a revolution? Uh, some, the green revolution. The green revolution. Yeah. Velvet was in Czechoslovakia. Right. The 2009 uh, revolution um, in Iran. You know, he he barely said a thing. He just said, "Well, that's oh no, he didn't. He said yeah. nothing. He ah. said absolutely nothing. Yeah. It was a chance for complete regime change to never have the problems we're having again. To to vanquish evil from the world forever. And it's in as that if pl- place. Ari, it's as if he wants the Iranian regime to succeed. How about that? It's as if. Now, if I didn't know better, I I would, if if I did not know better, I would say that he wants the Iranian regime to succeed and to thrive and to carry through with its stated goals of destroying Israel. And America. And America, of course. Well, yeah. first things first. They have a very strong plan. I'm sure they've consulted with him. But, but that's, you know, but I, but I don't want to believe that of my president. So therefore, I, I have to think of another alternative to explain why it is that, that, that he's moving forward with it. And uh, so the only al- other alternative is, I don't know. I, don't, I just don't have an alternative. I mean, I, I know what they're going to say. They're going to say that uh, we're doing this because we know this is the best thing for the world at large, and this is going to protect us. This but is the best deal we'll ever get. We'll ever get. I mean, but but why 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 does that make it so? Because you claim it to be so, and why should we trust you? And but 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 what if it doesn't work, Mr. President? And in fact, it. It's 99% chance not going to work. And you telling us that it's going to work will not make it so. Just like your shovel-ready jobs weren't shovel-ready, as it turns out, right? Oops, I didn't realize. I, Whoa, whoops. <laughs> I, I don't know if we can afford a whoops on this one, Mr. President. 
Okay, that's that's the difference. It's one thing. Oh yeah, because we're dealing with hold on, nuclear weapons. Right. Ah. Oh. Yeah. It's a, yeah. There's a difference apparently. Huh. Who knew? I mean, it's one thing to not have people employed. That's that's bad. It's not good. But it's another thing when when a country gets nuclear ambitions and and then succeeds in carrying out their ambitions, which are and they're pretty vile ambitions. I, I don't I don't count on you, Mr. President, you because you've been on wrong. You've been wrong on on every single thing that you've advanced. Yeah, big and small. Big and you small. Know, yeah. Down to the cops in Cambridge acted stupidly with your professor yeah. friend. Down to Trayvon, Trayvon would look Martin. like my son. That's right. Down to gentle giant, hands up, don't shoot. Yeah. It, 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 little things like that. There's not a single thing that he's gotten right. Yeah. Not, not a single. Now, of course, I mean, fairly, liberals will say, well, we love Obamacare. You don't like it. That's your opinion, Mr. Lurie and Mr. David. But, uh, you know, Obamacare is great. Okay. But. But we know that. But he, he he screwed up the website. He, I mean, the doctors were, were were leaving in droves. You couldn't get your policies. You couldn't get your. You can keep your doctors. I mean, you can't possibly say that Obamacare is working. And then the the millions of, sub, of subscribers that supposedly were going to be there weren't there. And then they fudged the numbers there. And and then the whole thing with the subsidies that are, is going to be decided by the Supreme Court shortly. I. I and then you, basically any policy you have is the equivalent of monopoly money, meaning that you can't actually use it. <laughs> you, you have $100,000 in monopoly money, but it doesn't mean that you have $100,000, right? It doesn't buy the Ferrari. It doesn't buy it. People will not accept it. And the other thing is, okay, so he, let's just stipulate that he wasn't completely wrong about Obamacare. Right. Okay, even if we're wrong about that, Obamacare is not going to vaporize a city if it goes bad. Yeah. That's okay. Oh, people don't realize. People don't, in their collective memory, remember what nuclear weapons do. How, in a flash of light, a hundred thousand people are vaporized. Yeah. Millions more blinded. Yeah. Millions more burning to death. Yeah. Like right in the first five seconds. Yeah. A whole city center gone. The only Irradiated good, for fifty yeah. years. The only good news is that you die instantly. If you're close enough. If you're close enough. Exactly if you're right. not. You'll you'll wish that you were closer. Yes, <laughs> exactly right. It's it's um, this is uh, a, a, an administration. I, to say that they don't get it doesn't do us justice. It insults those who don't get it. Right, <laughs> it really does. That's right. <laughs> I, I don't I don't mind a president that truly is naive, but if he's as smart as they claim him to be, then he should at least understand that bad guys want to do bad things, okay? And that bad guys never become good guys. It's just, it's impossible, okay? Why, you, you would, I mean, under his theory, then a murderer like Charles Manson is somebody that you can just reason with, and then, you know, you'll come to an agreement that he won't kill anybody, and, uh, you know... He'll finally you, get that recording contract he wanted. Right. <laughs> and off you go, Mr. Manson, okay? You, you, we've got a piece of paper where, wherein you promised you'll never kill anybody again. Okay, well, thank you very much. And, well, bye-bye, uh, Mr. President. And, and then uh, he, off he goes. And, he does, and, and to make the analogy perfect, uh, Manson would say, I'm, I'm, I'm going to kill people. I'm, gonna tell, I'm telling you right here and now, I'm going to kill me some people. And I'm going to get me a new cult, and I'm going to kill as, as random people as I can, and I'm going to do more of it than I ever did. Well, he's just kidding, folks. I, you know, I, well, I just sign this piece of paper. Yeah, text Susan <laughs> Squeaky. Where are you? Let's go. Let's let's <laughs> sign this piece of paper, and uh, and that's all that matters. And then you'll get to claim that uh, this is the best result we could possibly ask for because you know containing Charles Manson in this prison is just not uh, sustainable. It's, it's unsustainable, <laughs> right? That's his favorite. It's word. just not the best option. <laughs> really? Yeah. Well, he's actually right. Death penalty would have been the best option, Yeah, but they kept us from doing that. Well, that's another story. <laughs> but I don't want to, this analogy to break down too much. Yeah. Okay, so uh, but with Iran, we need to contain them. We need to keep them in their prison, as it were. Make their own country the prison that, that it is. And not, and not to glorify it. That's the, that's the thing I detest most about this. And that they love, um, they, they, that Obama is now breathing life into this horrific regime to make them think how powerful they are. And I can tell you as a lawyer, the last thing you want to do is let somebody think that their outrageous claims 
have any merit to them whatsoever and that they are points of discussion, okay? Never do that in law. If, if truly you know that the, the claims against your client are absurd or you are absurd, you must fight it and you must call it out as the outrageous piece of crap that it is. This president won't do that and one wonders why. This is Brock Lurie. When we get back, we'll talk a little bit more about some uh, issues in Obamacare and also the Bruce Jenner fallout as well. In the meantime, don't go away. We'll be right back. Dennis Prager here. If you have a business or real estate dispute, I strongly recommend that you call Barack Lurie. Barack, your client loaned $100,000 to a former business partner to use to flip properties, but the former partner used the money to pay off his own personal debts. Yeah, Dennis, the challenge here was that the defendant claimed to not have any money. Even his own lawyer claimed the defendant wasn't paying him. So how did you resolve it? Well, we put his money where his mouth was, asking, why don't you just agree to stipulate to a judgment that would save our client and his is tens of thousands of dollars pursuing this matter in court. Now my client has a judgment as though he had gone to trial and won. Well, that's another real success. Folks, I trust Barack Lurie with my own legalities. Call him at 866-575-8111. That's 866-575-8111. Fighting for what's right, Barack Lurie at Lurie and Seltzer. 866-575-8111. And now listen to the Barack Lurie Show Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. here on AM870, The Answer. Thanks so much for tuning in again. Uh, you know, Bruce Jenner, just following up on him, I guess a, really more of a postscript than anything else. Um, I want to talk about, you know, they, you know, we talked, we kind of joked around about how this is really a, a disorder that needs attention as a disorder, not as uh, something to be celebrated. Isn't this great? He's, it's like a coming out party sort of thing. That, that's the way that the media would like to portray this. This is a sickness, uh, no more and no less than. Uh, kleptomania than uh, somebody who's anorexic and has weird body images uh, about herself, um, and so on. It's so let's just keep it in perspective that way. And I, on my Sunday show, I'll be talking about this a little bit, so I'll give a kind of a preview of it. And, and that is, it seems that when it comes to anything sexual, then the media embraces it. If it's anything else, such as the things I just mentioned, kleptomania, anorexia, gambling addiction, coke use, or whatever it is, that there's an addiction of some kind that needs to be fought. Well, they would never say, go, go with it, you know, steal more money, uh, you know, gamble more, take more drugs or anything Cigarette else. Cigarette smoking. Cigarette smoking, good example. They would never do that. And, and I think part of the reason why the media embraces this so much is because it, is, it involves sexual, sexual activity and sexuality. And... They're all about breaking the barriers, the perceived barriers of sexuality. You know, we live in a very prudish world as if somehow there's not rampant sex going around all over the place and, you know, fatherless uh, children and, and uh, children being born out of wedlock beyond measure from any historical perspective, right? As if, as if that's the issue. <laughs> and what we're seeing is just the breakdown of, of a structure. That's all it is. And so when people see Bruce Jenner uh, announcing his desires to become a woman and such, it is, in fact, a celebration of the destruction of the distinction between male and female. That they like. And so if you, if you portray him as a, a man who's suffering from a disorder, well, then you're, you're a bad person yourself. Okay? That's, that's the way they look at it, and they will mock you because you're supposed to embrace all these things. And it's not just the transgender stuff. It's also the, the very notion of what, a, what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman. And, uh, you know, the, the thing that you, you and I would think would be such an obvious thing in terms of a distinction 10 years ago, even five years ago, even, I think, three years ago, uh, male and female, female bathrooms. Like, no one has a problem with that, right? I, and yet now, all of a sudden, if you don't make 
provisions for somebody who feels uh, uncomfortable in the male bathroom when he, for example, feels like he's a female and vice versa, well then, by golly, you can be sued for not accommodating him, whatever that means. I mean, to my understanding that the male and female bathrooms are very much uh, similar to each other, except that one has urinals and one doesn't. No one's cleaner and one doesn't. No, well, that's another story. But by the way, women's, women's bathrooms are notoriously more dirty than the men's bathrooms. As we, we like to think that, that men are more, more uh, unkempt and such, but in reality, a lot of the women's bathrooms are a lot more dirty. But let's not get into that. The point is that from a structure point of view, it's not as if it's like, uh, it's not like separate but equal <laughs> in the old days of black and white schools. This, they are equal. The only difference is the urinals. Okay, that's it. But so how, how it is that, that we can say, well, that I feel uncomfortable going to a man's room because I feel like a woman, well, then I, I don't know what you want from us. But this is the, the celebration of the, of the breakdown. That's what it is. It's just a breakdown of, of sexuality, of what it means to male, male and female. And I, I, I imagine they imagine some sort of brave new world. I don't know what the, their ultimate end game is, that, to say that all men are, are the same and all as women and vice versa, and we're all kind of androgynous to each other. And I, I don't know what, what vision, what, what good could come out of this? You don't see the, the end game. No, you I'll, really don't. I'll, I'll get to that. I'll get to that. I want to know what their vision is at the end of the day, what good can come out of this. Right? What what is what is it? Is it is that you feel that if if uh, all men act like women or all women act like men, that there will be a lot more sex? Is that is that what you're looking for? Um, are, are you looking for um, you know a, a, the, the notion that uh, that there are no differences, so therefore there'll be something greater in society? I, I don't know what that is. That that to me is much more cloudy. I don't understand it. But Ari, I know you have a vision of what their vision is. Go ahead. A depopulated world. That's the good. They have determined that human beings are an infestation on the planet and by, oh, I see. by removing the distinction of male and female, by making sex so impossible through critical theory to get permission for in writing through each step on college campuses, by making sex completely unpleasurable by promoting condoms, by promoting the only healthy sex being homosexual sex or other perversions of sex that make sex for normal people completely unpalatable, by making it completely impossible for people to meet each other by having more and more isolation in society, their ultimate goal of a depopulated world will come true. Because to them, and they're right about this, sex equals more people. Yeah. Well, Oh, okay. and of course, one other thing, abortion. <laughs> right. well, QED. Case closed. <laughs> like, drop the microphone. Boom. Boom. I'm out of here. <laughs> That's right. Uh, Take I, that, Barack. Yeah. Well, I don't. I, I understand what you're saying. I, I think that is far too... I don't think that's the end game of the typical liberal right now who who talks who who embraces uh, the Jenner story. I, I think that doesn't jibe with them. If you were to say to them, look, you know, tell me, do the Spock mind meld, for example, right, where where he actually get into your brain and see what your real purpose is in something, right? Um, I don't think a liberal would say, I, I want to see a depopulated world. On the contrary, I think, if anything, he, he wants more sex. He wants to, to, to break down the barriers of the, this prudish notion of sexuality. And more to my point, um, schools are teaching sexuality, um, gay or otherwise, um, and embracing it. And, and one teacher is sending, uh, for example, his kids on a field trip to a porn store. A, porn, a sex shop, adult I guess. Adult sex. Adult, shop. adult sex yeah. shop, right? So presumably to embrace and to uh, demystify sexuality and to de-demonize sexuality, you know, according to this high school guy. And yes, he got in trouble for it, but, you know, the fact that he even thought that, that this was something that he could do is, is emblematic of the times, right? So I, I hear what you're saying. I think that is, that is the... The consequence of it, I think you've you've got it right that to the extent that you allow for abortion on demand and and all these things and and then also um, encouraging you know, boys to become homosexual, girls to be lesbian, right? I, I, or to, even to, have, even uh, to feminize boys, yeah. Um, that leads to the natural consequence of you know less in the way of the population. I, I, I kind of agree with that. Uh, by the way, in Japan, there is that process going on right now. The men are so uh, feminized, 
that they don't even pursue women at all. It's, it's not in their bailiwick to, to pursue. They don't have to. Um, you know, God knows what they do um, to satisfy themselves, but I guess it's not necessarily with women. Maybe it's with each other. Maybe it's, you know, they just, you know, they do things on their own. I won't, I won't get into the word. Uh, but maybe that's good enough for them. You know, fine. They just, but they have no interest in understanding the opposite sex and saying, you know, let's go on a date. Let's, let's get to know each other. You know, the excitement of being with somebody for the first time, even just a kiss for that matter. I, I don't know. And the same kind of thing is happening in Germany. And there's a certain irony for people like us who look at the long view of history to see the two greatest enemies of America in World War II who both had a... Uh, 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 racial supremacist agenda and a depopulation of others' agenda, it, now at a state of on the verge of a uh, unsustainable unsustainable depopulation spiral in each society. Right, that's right. It's um, well that, that part of it's it's the socialist structure, like you said. It's um, if we live in a very odd society. Um, you know, isn't it interesting during during the time of the so-called prudish period of America. Victorian era, you mean like, or you? No, I'm talking about no. Victorian era is is what happened in England. I'm talking about in America. You know, when we we when we think of the 1800s and and before, for example, uh, and even up to the 1950s, for that matter, we think of it as a time where sex was taboo and there was little discussion about sex. Uh, But and yet there were so many kids, right? Each family seemed to have, you know, anywhere between four and eight kids. Yes, it, it was very common. Someone was having sex. Someone was... Within a marriage. Very yeah, unusual. That's right. <laughs> Somebody was getting busy, as they say. But, um, but now, you know, with all this openness of sex and such, well, it looks like we're having fewer kids. Now, you can say that that is not necessarily a correlation. Mr. Lurie, here's why, because economics have changed quite dramatically. It's very expensive to raise a child, tuition, and so on. Um, and that's the reason why people do it. They're delaying their adulthood. Yeah, yeah, I, I get that. But there's something about appreciating the the not the challenge of sex, but the, the the excitement and the secrecy of sex to some extent, right? We 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 want that to be a little not taboo, but not to be so open that we see everyone's uh, genitals hanging out. For we example, we want something naughty about it because yeah. naughty equals exciting. That's right. What what when two people, uh, you know, make make love, you, you know, part of the thrill of it is that you feel like you're the only people in the world doing it, right? There's something to that, right? It's it's not as if, it's not the same thing as you go down the street and you're walking down the, the sidewalk and you see other people walking down the sidewalk. You you know that you're not the only one doing that, but somehow when people, you know, are amorous with each other, it feels like yeah you're doing something very uh, unique. Uh, you know, obviously when you think about it, you figure okay, you know, thousands, millions, billions of people are doing this. That's the only way that the population can possibly grow. But nevertheless, there's something about it that kind of raises the desire for it, right? If, if, you, if it's just too easy, too open, you don't even try anymore, right? And anyway, that's, that's the challenge. Look, I want to move to another topic, and that is uh, what's happening with ISIS and the, the notion of passion. Look, uh, there are many things that are necessary to win a war, and... You can uh, let's name them off. You need a strategy, right? A will to win. Well, you're getting ahead of me oh, there. Sorry, weapons. You need weapons. You need men. Supplies, food. Yeah, supplies, food. You need to to um, have build relationships with allies, for example. Um, you know, and, and like you said, uh, military equipment. You know, air force things like this. Maps. Yeah, just th- th- a little th- information. Y- latrines, <laughs> tents. Uh, you know, all that stuff, right? Okay. Um, but the one thing, well, those are all necessary things. But to think that that's all you need is like saying, I've got a bunch of ingredients for this, this meal I want to prepare, and I'm just going to throw them all together, <laughs> all right? And then mix it up in a big bowl and say, here you go. 
Like, here's my veal parmesan, <laughs> right? No, you, you, need, you need to separate the spices. You need to time it. You need to structure it in a way that makes sense. You Do have to things in the order required for it yeah. to come out as the specific result of the dish and not a piece of chaos on a plate. That's right. Right? Right. And... And oh. you need refrigeration, and you need fire right. provided by the refrigerator and the oven. There you go. And you need – there's all about timing. There's about coordinating it together. You have to think about it in, as one big picture. Okay? And the way this administration pursues war or pursues the protection of the Iraqi people or whatever you want to call it, because they don't even know what it is that they're doing. They're like the first guy who just – Throws the chicken and the cheese and the spice and 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 just kind of mixes it up. And they hope it comes out. <laughs> and then and then they're surprised that there's no it's not veal parmesan like they saw in the movies, right? It's or or on the the nice beautiful picture that that some friend of them shared with them on on Facebook. They're surprised, and it doesn't work that way, Mr. President. It just doesn't work that way. So, but you see this president doing. The, you know, defending this war, pursuing this war, exactly like the guy just throwing all the ingredients together. <laughs> like, you just can't do it. I mean, it, anyone who loves cooking, I, I like to cook. I'm not a big baker, but I love cooking. And I love the, the timing of things. I like to, you know, oh, the pasta has to be just so. And you want to you wanna bring in the, the tomato sauce. I like to you know, stir fry it up with the pasta. It kind of brings it in there a certain way. And I like to put oregano after the fact, not in the fact, you know, not while it's cooking. There's timing. There is placement. There's, there's also, you know, proportion of ingredients and such. But I don't just slap it together. <laughs> That's what this guy does. So you don't saute the pasta in a dry pan before boiling it? I, exactly. I don't do that. Uh, yeah, imagine Interesting. That. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, you know, the, and, and it just, I mean, I, like my favorite pasta is a, is a pasta. It's, it's almost like a risotto. And risotto t- is somewhat complicated to make. What, orzo, but, that small one? Yeah. yeah. You make it with a certain kind of thing, and you, 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 you slowly make it. And it has to be done just so. The timing has to do, put a little wine. It's, it's really, it adds a little flavor to it. And also the vegetables on top of it, you don't, you don't cook it with the risotto. You cook it separately. And then you sprinkle on the top when it's very done. Yeah, that's the way a good risotto is done. And this guy, this this president, he just slaps it all together. Just recently, he he, he realizes things are not working so well. So let's send another 450 men to uh, to help the Iraqis. Because 400 men will destroy the yeah uh, a whole. You know you know. But wait wait but, oh, and, and, but without even saying what these 450 men are going to do, he just literally just thinks okay. Uh, I'll just throw in more pasta yeah. <laughs> because it doesn't look like the pasta I want it to be or the veal parmesan that I want it to be. So uh, maybe if I'll just throw some more cheese on it, it'll look like, the, oh, no, it doesn't work. Then I'll throw more cheese in it. It's this haphazard duct tape approach to, to fixing a problem um, that, that fails every single time. And so, you know, liberals used to accuse conservatives of mission creep. But no, it's not mission creep. That was well planned out, and even in Vietnam with John Kennedy. But this is just throwing men there, hoping that something will, will a strategy will develop itself, and the the guys will somehow organize themselves. You know, I mean, I know you believe that from evolution, your pure evolution theory. It doesn't work there either, okay? But yeah. but it, it won't work here. Maybe that's why they think they they believe it so so blatantly when it comes to pure evolution, right, that you can get all this wonderful order out of all this chaos, that it'll, it'll happen organically by itself. Well, well, then maybe the same thing will happen if you just throw a couple more men there. It'll yeah. be just the right proportion. And it shows their complete ignorance of God that God gave human beings free will separate from the rest of nature. Right. And that our free will enables us to if we use wisdom to make the right decisions for it to come together. That's right. So if we don't use our wisdom, our free will results in chaos and destruction. The other reason your analogy is so perfect compared to the idea of will to win is because there's another word that's used vis-a-vis warfare that's analogous to will, which is appetite. Yeah. Appetite for war. That's right. right. And appetite for victory. Well, if you make crappy food, no matter how hungry someone is, they lose their appetite when they right. see it on the plate. Any cook will tell you 
and this and, and you you went ahead of where we wanted to go, but I'm fine with it. Uh, what I call it is passion, right? No war has ever been war uh, won without passion. Just there's not a single war you can you can mention, whether <clears throat> it's a civil war, whether it's the Revolutionary War, World War Two, World War One. Um, Spanish American, Spanish American, Mexican American War. Uh, you you have to you have to believe in your side. If the, you know, now by the way, you can easily lose a war when you don't have the passion. So that's that's easy. But we, if we don't have passion, we will lose this war. Because if we, we don't lose every war, if we don't have passion, that, that's right. There, it's impossible to win a war without an understanding, first of all, of what what the war is about, what your purpose is, right? What what your why you're there in the first place. And then you have to add the passion. And here at best we, we might, it's, it's still cloudy what Obama thinks his engagement is about. He doesn't even know to call it a war. So it, it's really bizarre. It's so cloudy. So he calls it whatever he wants to call it, I suppose, overseas contingency operations, whatever that means. And then he throws people, and he, he hopes to, to fight ISIS. We're gonna fight ISIS. Did he, does he even have a strategy to say, we are out to destroy every single friggin' member of ISIS? No, doesn't say that. Doesn't say, we're just, does he say we're here to contain ISIS? Nope, doesn't say that. Does he say that we're here to protect the Iraqis? Nope, doesn't say that. It's not clear what his real mission is. Presumably it's because he wants, wants to beat back the bad guys, to have them on the run, like he said about al-Qaeda, which was also patently false. Presumably. But he doesn't even say it. And that's putting aside the passion. You know what? The passion would it looks something like this. Ladies and gentlemen of America, we must destroy this evil known as ISIS, or ISIL, as he likes to call it. We must destroy ISIS and, and destroy it thoroughly. It is a threat to our very way of life. If we do not take on this test today, it'll be that much harder tomorrow. And so we go in with full gusto, understanding the risks and the sacrifices we must make. If this takes years, decades, so be it. But we will destroy evil as we see today. That sounds a lot like a speech I think a guy named George W. Bush gave right after September 11th. <laughs> That's right, some guy. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah it's, very, it's a very similar one. And, and it's, it's a realistic one. It's the right one to give. But we don't, I don't know that we have that passion. Um, I don't. And, and the reason why we have the passion, that's another story altogether, but we, for today, good for today, we don't have it. No, no, I, I disagree with your point. That's what a leader does. <clears throat> a leader who is entrusted with this responsibility called the office of the president, right? Right. Is supposed to, in times in which the public does not have the will for such things, go out and convince them why they should. FDR. This day shall live in infamy, right? Yep. <laughs> Fireside chats. We shall go to to <clears throat> Europe and, and liberate Europe from the Nazis. Just a remember, just you know? just a reminder that I do pay your bills. You know, you understand. So. <laughs> oh yeah, you're absolutely right, sir. Yeah. Okay, and there you go. But my point is, don't tell me that you don't you know where this will comes from. It's Obama's job. Of if course. the will is no, no, it, to, to give it. I understand, but the, look, the, the the fact is, and I, we weren't going to get into the why of it. I'm saying we don't have the passion. The country does not have the passion because Obama is a reflection. of of the country's will, Ari. It does. It, it's not. He doesn't lead. Yeah, because he doesn't have the passion. He doesn't have the passion, and the people who voted for him don't have the passion. Yes. And the part of the reason why they voted for him is because he doesn't have the passion. <laughs> That's right. Okay. He, he he feels that the Iraq War was a terrible thing, and so he campaigned on that, and and people apparently resonated to that. Okay. So we don't have the passion. We are responsible. He's a mirror of our own desires. Okay. Part of the reason why we voted for Reagan is because he, and it was a landslide victory for him, is because he, we, we voted for his passion, for his vision, and we got his vision, and thank God we had his vision. But, but the nation has turned in such a way that we voted for this guy named Obama's vision, and he gave us his vision, and now we're living with his vision, and people are making excuses for his vision and the results of his vision. Okay, that, that's we, we and and look. The bottom line is we have no passion. For whatever reason, we have no passion, and we will not win this war. But this is highly predictable, right? There are many things you and I have predicted. This war will get worse, 
and worse and worse. Thankfully, there will be a new president, and it, there's a very good chance it will be a Republican president and a very good chance who will be able to roll up his sleeves and say, I ain't going to do what that other guy did, and we got to win this war. Okay? He made a mess. We're going to fight back now. Let's have some... Let's, let's, let's do the right thing, um, and let's have some payback for our Western civilization, and we will defend it. These are American values that, that must survive. And if we don't take care of it now, well, we might just wake up one day and hear the sirens of, of Muslim prayers throughout, and then we're, we just kind of get used to it. And we'll just say, yeah, we're not, we're not Muslim, but you know, this is part of our lives. Okay, and then there's a clamoring for Sharia law, and 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 with all the PC nonsense, you know, it it, it will not be fought back. It will get worse. And on my Sunday show, you'll as you'll hear it, we talk about the button, the 15-year button. Do you want to press the button? The button that will tell you that will bring you 15 years from wherever you right now. Boom! It's now 15 years ahead. And right now, you and I already are looking out. Um, and the, you know, and we see a skyline of many buildings. And if I were to press the button to say 15 years from now, you know, a couple of the buildings will be gone. Some of them are replaced. Um, you know, the billboards will look different. <laughs> a lot of things will look different, right? Maybe there'll be more skyscrapers in front of us. But I can tell you one thing: there will be a lot of changes in the value structure of our society as well. We'll also, you know, the, what is PC will be very different. We, we, it's a very cloudy future. We don't know what it's going to be. And, and you have to ask yourself, will, in 15 years from now, will we live in a time where Sharia law will be the tolerant thing to do? In other words, shall we allow Sharia law? That, that will be a, a, a proposition on the ballot. How do you like that? It's not on the ballot now. It will be. 15 years from now? You bet. And, and they'll say, oh, you know, look, we're, we just want to do our own thing. And it's just as, you know, because people believe that all cultures are the same after all. So we just want this kind of different way of doing things. And by the way, uh, my, my fellow Americans, you do this already with the Native Americans, right? You give them their enclaves. You give them autonomy. Yeah. Their law. Yeah, you, rules you're not allowed to cross over uh, in the jurisdiction. It's not your turf, as it were. And, well, by golly, let them do what they need to do. It's Native American decisions. They, they have their own punishments and their own laws. So why, why can't we have that? Okay, and we're not hurting you. We're taking care of our own. Why, why is that so offensive to you, Americans? So that's, that's going to be something. And, and the question to you is, do you want to press the button? Do you really want to see what it's going to look like? And I put it to you that most Americans, if they really think about it, they don't want to see that button. They don't want to press it. In much the same way, I don't want to press the button that will show me how and when I'll die. I don't want to know, right? It would, it would dramatically alter your life. So, I mean, I suppose if you told me I'm going to die at 125 at the, at the hands of a jealous lover, <laughs> fine. <laughs> I, I'm okay with that. Good. That sounds pretty good. But how many, <laughs> how many of us are going to live that long and live, you know, die under those circumstances, right? But the truth is we don't know our future, and we don't want to know our future sometimes. But the way things are going right now, I really don't want to press that button. And what I say to my listeners is this. You know if you think about what the future is going to be 15 years from now, you, you know what you need to do, and that is to fight and resist and to not be embarrassed about the following things. Love of family, love of America, and love of God. You focus on those things, we might have a fighting chance 15 years hence. This is Barack Lurie. Thanks so much, so much for listening. We'll talk with you real soon.